For season three of A Dose of Black Joy and Caffeine, we partnered with Energer to create 18 episodes centered around creativity, marketing, branding, and innovation. With over 1,000 associates in 21 offices around the globe, Energer is a key member of the Omnicom Group and Omnicom Commerce Group, as well as the commerce arm of TBWA Worldwide. Huge thanks to Energer for helping amplify Black voices and narratives from industry leaders. So with that being said, welcome all uh, to the season finale of A Dose of Black Joy and Caffeine Season 3. And, you know, I'm super excited because on this episode, uh, we have one of my long uh, time friends, um, me family mentors, just in general, amazing person. So we're going to dive more into our guest that we have on the show today. But before I do that, a lot of you have heard the voice of Jimmy McDaniels throughout the season. And uh, man, Jimmy, I just want to say thank you so much for co-hosting this season. Uh, do you have any any words that you want to leave the people with, with this being our final interview together? Um, Justin, it's been a gift, man. Uh, we, we talk all the time about connecting and, and things happening for a reason. And this has been amazing. The, um, just the journey and hearing all these amazing stories um, that you take the opportunity to put humans first. So we, we love that. And one of the purposes of this podcast and, and what we do at Energy, connecting humans, and it's, it's just pretty awesome. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for your time. And with that being said, I would also like to definitely thank the Energy Group for uh, sponsoring and presenting uh, season three. It has been awesome being able to not only identify uh, the amazing guests that we worked with, but also curate questions. So I want to thank you all so much. And with that, today we have Energy's very own Gail. Welcome to A Dose of Black Joy and Caffeine. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Hello, guys. Hey. Um, hey, this is awesome. So please tell the people at home a little bit about yourself, your current position at the Energy Group, and also um, a little bit more about your bio. I like to say elevator pitch. If many of you listen to season one, you would um, also recognize that we this is Gail's second time on the show. So you're making history already, but tell the people at home a little bit about yourself. Okay, I'm Gail Obasiki. I'm Vice President DEI here at Energer, the Energer Group. Uh, recently promoted. Uh, my background, I've been with the Omnicom family for about now going on 28 years. I was 25 years at Tracy Locke and just had a lot of hats over there from director of project management, studio, production services, DEI, employee onboarding, you name it. I wore a lot of hats. Uh, earlier in my career, I was a journalist and I came over to the dark side, as they said back in the day, when you'd leave journalism and come to advertising. But we all saw that it actually was sort of reversed, that that might have been the dark side that I was with. Um, and I'm I'm sort of old. So I come from old school ways that I'm watch, you know, during the Dr. King era. I was a Black Panther. I sort of uh, radicalized myself because of the things that were going on in America. And I come full circle, realizing that it takes all of these voices 
to actually try to make some kind of progress here. So that's where I am right now with DEI. I love it. I mean, a beautiful journey. And with that being said, you know, I I like to I like to uh, rephrase the term old as as a, a journey because I think that there's so much longevity there. Um, there's so many people, like I said, that listen to a dose of black joy, uh, whether it is individuals that are first starting off in their career or even C-suite level um, individuals, which you know have been obviously you know in the industry 28 years and or more. How has your concept of longevity changed um, throughout your years in the industry in terms of how you define it and uh, what you think about, you know, just having a long career uh, within this industry? You know, from the time that I came over into this industry, I mean, literally I came and I'm not afraid of that word, oh, because I really do. I, my background is Nigerian. My husband, we've been together 40 years. Uh, and elders hold a really high level of respect. So I love that term. Okay. But anyway, I came before computers. I said all that to say that, that I'm, <laughs> yeah. you know, we're still doing paste up layouts and all of that. Uh, so the journey has been an interesting one and a, one where you could always learn. There was so much learning to, to have happen that opposed to just seeing it in terms of individuals, I also see it in terms of how the industry itself changed. And I was there, you know, I feel like, uh, Tom Hanks in whatever that movie was that was so iconic. Big? Yeah. No, yeah. The, one, the one that he was like with every, he was running. Uh, Forrest oh, Gump. Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump, yeah. Yeah, you know, he was in every area. Every time you saw him, he was like standing behind Kennedy and standing. I feel like that because I've literally gone through a lot of eras in this industry and seeing the growth in the industry. And I see it, you know, one of the things that energy we talk about and we believe in is growth and thriving. And that's what I feel like that I've done over the time. You have to reinvent yourself consistently to actually have that kind of longevity. So you see sort of at the brink of what's coming next and you just sort of poise yourself for that new adventure. And so you don't get tired of it. And that's where I am uh, and where I've been. I love it. You know, one of the things um, that I really love about having um, when it comes to guests on this show is that it's the opportunity for you to share your story. I mean, when you say 28 years, it, I can't even imagine uh, the things that you have experienced uh, through that time. And, you know, we spoke last year. I wanted to know um, just things that you have done um you know, whether it's between the last year in the DEI space that you feel uh, are a priority when it comes to um, agency interacting or interacting uh, within uh, team members in your agency and or clients as well uh, that you think a lot of people should keep or keep in mind when thinking about their priority DEI OKRs? You know, one of the things I think when people see um, if you'll notice, a lot of leaders in this DEI space is black women. Mm. And so they see black women, the first thing that comes to mind, of course, is uh, race and gender. And I do know how important those two things are because I have been for years and years that only person in the room a lot of times. However, I have a honeycomb that I use a lot in this space. And that honeycomb shows that when we talk about diversity, we're talking about so many different things. We're talking about politics. We're talking about race, true. We're talking about gender. We're talking about religion. We're talking about language, you know, neurodiversity. We're, we're talking about so many different things. And we want everybody 
that's at that table. First of all, we want everybody to have a seat at the table. And once they're there, we want all of those voices to be heard. So whether you are someone who is an introvert or someone who has um, just, just some type differently abled, you know, uh, learning disabilities, um, to actually say that we are inclusive and that we are diverse, we have to have all of those voices. And that's what I believe that I recommend more than anything else. Yes, do I still know that there are so many different issues about race, so many different issues around gender? Those are things that we will continue to work on, but we have to bring all these other people to the table also, you know, because I think that's how we get the full uh, breadth of the struggle. I love it. You know, one of the things that I've been uh, reading about, whether it's on LinkedIn or even hearing just from peers and colleagues, is that there has uh, that an interest, an overall interest has uh, declined a little bit when it comes to conversations, or I think um, the interest of really just sparking conversation around DEI. I think when we think about the pandemic, it was a time that we were all coming uh, together. And so there was a lot of human interaction, getting to know each other, or even if you think about the Black Lives Matter that took place um, during 2020, what do you feel is the best way to continue to spark and drive interest around DEI um, internally when it comes to teams and also uh, stakeholders so they can make sure that it's a priority? And I know that that is a bit of a loaded question, um, but I'm asking because, you know, sometimes there is just so many things going on and not to say that it isn't a priority, but what are some of the things that you think that um, employers, not employers, but team members can be doing when it comes to senior leaders just to spark that interest? You know, one of the things that I think I do is, you know, we find the commonality that is there. And one of the things that I started this year off is we all have issues around mental health. Mm -hmm. I mean, racism is a mental disease and it actually affects us so many different ways. So does, you know, gender and all these other things. So when you concentrate on what you think is at the cellular level of all these things, um, and that's one thing that nobody gets tired of, you know, right after George Floyd, everybody was all up in arms and everybody was being performative and, you know, and actually some of them were being very sincere about wanting to, you know, evoke change, but just because I've been in this and it's cyclical, I know that these things ebb and tide. Whenever there is an issue, then all of a sudden everybody is all clamoring around it and then it dies down and it slowly dies out. To keep it from dying out, like I say, you find the commonality. And right now, I feel like we will never, can we can never get tired or, or lose interest when we're talking about how do we actually present what is the mental health issue that is around this whole diversity inclusion and this whole issue of America and the world? You know, what is that? And we're dealing with it. We have lots of, of conversations, lots of what we call hear me series, lots of uh, people bringing their lived experiences. We bring therapists in. We're doing everything we can because if you can address some of the root problems, you're addressing the bigger, you know, these little individual things too. I love that. Can you? Oh, go ahead, Jimmy. Sorry. No, 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 not at all. Gil, I was just just wondering as, as you speak to that. And it sounds like, you know, energy, I know the work that you do and how you paved the road. My question is, how do you recharge, though, when you spend so much time giving to those and really putting your focus on mental health? How do you take a step back to make sure that you you are 
available and how do you fill your cup to do so? What a great question, Jimmy, you know, because it's like physician heal thyself kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, I am triggered. I w- I've been triggered just repeatedly, you know, whether that was the Supreme Court nominations or, you know, the thing that just happened there in, in California, you know, in New York, in Buffalo. You know, so I, I go through the things personally and then I go through them in the business sense. You know, I, I talk about being 28 years in the business and it took me 28 years to make it to VP. I stayed at a director level for 20 years, you know, and so just things like that are triggering. But what I know for a fact is that, you know, I think Dr. King is the one who said that the arc of justice, you know, it curves I me, mean, the arc curves towards justice. It's slow. But, you know, knowing that we are doing something, uh, that we're doing something to actually help the art change, you know, is, is how I refill. I actually, uh, I'm very spiritual by nature, and I also have a really deep belief system. And, I'm, you know, some people do it with meditation. I do mine with prayer. Every morning I get up, I know I'm getting ready to face some invisible things that I don't even know about yet. But I also know the things that I'm usually going to face, and I'm I'm always sort of armed against it. So that's those are the, the tools that I use personally, but I'm not adverse to therapy. I'm not, adver- you know, when things get really bad, I know to actually pick up the phone and actually make a couple of phone calls because, you know, the more you take these things in, it's almost like you're painting your soul over with darkness to a certain extent and you need something to clear it. And um, another thing that clears me is water. And my husband is taking me to the grill in June. That's going to be clearing you know, a little music, little meat pies. And yeah. a, now, wait so, a minute. Now, wait a minute. Tell, wait, tell, tell dad I need a ticket. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's right. But whatever brings you joy, and that's why I love the name of this, and I love this young man that, that does this. You have to continue to find your spots of joy in the midst of, I think even if I were in the Ukraine right now, regardless of what the what's going on around me, I would be that person that still would find some piece of music to put on and dance. I mean, you know, I've got to, because as long as there is that kind of, you know, joy still in my spirit, I'm ready for the next day, regardless of what it brings. And it could bring something absolutely horrible, you know, and we've seen that and we've survived it. So we've got something to go on to say that we do survive. We are survivors, but we're not just survivors. We are thrivers. And that's why that whole thing that, that energy does. And I have to tell you this company and the people here, I've known them, some of them were ex-Tracy Locke, so I knew them back in the day. They're not performance, they, they really believe in this, this, this idea that they've come up with about thriving and growing and growing as a community. And I joined that, I mean, I would not have joined, I, I had my own company, I would not have joined. I believed in what they wanted to do and I felt like I could help push it forward. So I'm joyful pretty much every day once I get over my triggers, you know, don't get me wrong. They're there, you know, you know, so uh, thank you for asking about it. But I just go through, like I said, I pray, I eat good food, I cook good food, I dance, I play good music. And uh, sometimes I get really loud and ghetto, but whatever brings me joy. (laughs) I told a dude the other night I had to start speaking in emojis. It might be a glass of wine or two that brings it, you know, so then my English goes away. Oh, no. Well, listen, I mean, speaking of joy and yes, great question, Jimmy. I mean, that's that's definitely what this show is about. And you have brought so much joy to so many people's lives, I think, just in general within the industry. 
Um, but I want to talk really quickly just about mentorship. I mean, I believe that you have mentored well over, I can't remember, what was the last count? <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, we, we had counted about 800, you know, because we were turning them over as they would learn how to walk, talk, and chew gum and oh. move on to a different field. And I'd get another group. I love the model that Tracy Locke used as far as helping people learn about this industry. And they used me. I became Mama Gail because that's what I did was just shepherd. You want to come into this industry? You think you might like it? Let's stay with me for a year. We can tell if you will or not. So, yeah, that's what I did for so long. What would you say is the Gale formula that you were really empowering so many of these, uh, I think, up and coming industry, um, you know, um, the, the people that were entering this industry with? And the reason why I ask is because I even know, I believe that, um, and I hope I'm not sh oversharing too much information, but that's what this is. Andrew Rice, I believe, is now working for the uh, Energy Group. And we actually interned together at uh, Tracy Locke. But I say all that to say that I think that you have now probably even seen individuals start off as juniors and then just kind of work their way up. Um, what, what would you say is the formula that you're really grounding them with in order to be successful in this industry at the very, very start of their career? Well, you, you know, this industry, we're changing gradually as we're trying to hire more diverse. But for years and years, we hired homogenous, beautiful young people from these big eight schools, right? Mm. And that lived in these vacuums for so long. And so they came out expecting and, and advertising rewarded them. You were either very smart or very charming. You know, your clients love you or you were really smart and could get work done. So you had those kind of people coming in. And my, my deal was to tell them about the real world and to introduce them to the real world via Gail's world. And Gail's world is all inclusive, true enough, but it has a lot of ghetto and countryness and realness and just that's how it got to be Mama Gail. And you make a good point too, Adu. Uh, Steve Miller, who is now, I think the, he might be the controlling manager of Tracy Log. Now I forgot what his title is, but he was a project manager under me. I mean, you know, so yeah, we've seen him go all the way past director levels into the C-suites. And, you know, and I know that they have a piece of me you know, and a piece of my 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 ideas about the world, regardless of how their parents raised them and how closed minded they were when I first met them, not trying to change their political viewpoint. We've had some great conversations over chess games late at night while they were waiting on the projects to be done in the studio. Yeah. Um, but what they did know and what they did see was a different viewpoint and one that they I think respected, or at least they say they do, because most of them stay around me. I mean, you know, they I hear from them consistently and a lot of them, I'd say 60 to 70% of them stayed in the industry and they are literally rising. And I know they credit me for that first year of you know grounding them. And yeah. you know, of course I was there all the rest of the time, but they had other mentors. But that first year is important. You know, I say you change them from college to colleagues, you know. Um, yeah. and I never treated them like they were young, you know, just ingenues. They were grown. I felt like when I was in college and, you know, I was as grown as I got. I mean, you know, I might not have been as smart as I was going to get, but I was grown. Oh, and no. so we treated them accordingly. And I think that was the the key, you know, but I, there is not probably an industry, there's not a advertising agency in the Southwest and even in New York that doesn't have some protege of mine, you know, that we still talk and, and I still counsel. And most of mine is the feel good kind of counseling, the, the spiritual part, the, you know, 
I'm having this issue, I'm you know, going through this angst. So I actually came full circle from all the things that I was teaching them about the industry into just now just dealing with people about their just their personal selves. Because when you're dealing in DEI, you're dealing with somebody's spirit. That's all you're trying to do is literally get their spiritual idea of how to function with another human being, you know. I love that, Ms. Gale. Um, they, they say for a sign of a great leader, it's, it's what you leave behind, right? And, and what grows. And, and that note, can you tell us, you know, what was one influential thing for you coming up from a mentor standpoint that stay with you as you start to talk about those 800 plus people or gems, right, that you helped polish along the way? And there's probably like 800 more that we don't even know about, you know. That's you correct. <laughs> you know, um, I have to credit this old lady that I knew that was in my church. And she would always tell us all the time, you know, when she'd say people retire, you don't retire from this particular business. She was talking about Christianity at the point, you know, you don't, you see pastors, you know, they get to be emeritus, but you still work. And so she instilled in me this whole idea that, when I met my husband, he he repeated it, and I knew he was my husband because we had a lot of things like that in common. But it's the idea of finishing strong. It's not so much about, you know, that's why I was really devastated when I got laid off and all my friends are saying, well, you're 68. I mean, you should retire, you know, enjoy your life. And I'm saying I am enjoying my life, but I've got to, I was I came down here for a purpose. When I say came down here, I mean earth, this earthly plane. And whatever it is, you know, we we sort of find our way around it, but eventually you find exactly that sweet spot. And it's exactly, it was, it was dealing with people, it's talking to people. It was not therapy, it is not ministry, it is not, it's just Gail dealing one-on-one as, as many people as I can. And that's something I can do until I actually called off of this plane. So I think that that lady, and I mean, even when she passed, I couldn't picture her being old when they were saying she's 97 or whatever, and I was like, she always looked beautiful to me. She just looked well put together, moved, never complained about her health. I mean, you know, just always was moving and doing things. And I always wanted to, to be like that. And I met my husband and he gave me an example of one of his professors that sort of did the same thing. So we actually coined the phrase finish strong and we've been using it for 40 years, you know, because, you know, um, uh, what's his name said, start with the end in mind, that guy, you know, the one I'm talking about, the, the planner. I can't think of his name right now. Um, I, I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I do too. But but yeah, we'd always talk about how do you want to end this thing? Because it keeps you honest if you think about your ending, right? And so if, even when we were real young, when we were right out of college, we started talking about, you know, what do we want to do? What do we want to be known for? So those things kept us honest and kept us on, on track. And now that we are in our six, late 60s and 70s, it really does say that we're on track to finish strong, whatever that means. If we get taken off this plane tomorrow, you know, we've done a lot of good. We screwed up a bunch. Don't get me wrong. Now, when I said I was a Panther and I was sort of wild and crazy back in the day, but hopefully we either made up for it or that was just a learning process to get us to where we are now anyway. You know, thank you so much for sharing that. Ah, oh, so many great things, so many great things already. And like I said, you we may have to go for a three-peat with you on the on on, on another season because you're the you're the first guest to be on two seasons. So trust me, it, it's so much to unpack. But one of the things that you mentioned on the first season when we interviewed you is that 
I guess you mentioned that there was a period in time that you were um, maybe upset or a little angry and mad. And like, you know, that was a constant mood for you. And I would love for you to um, kind of dive into, is there a way to uh, repair your feelings in this industry when you have been burned? Um, because, you know, I think that, and I would love for you to speak more to this. I don't want to tell your story, but, you know, to think 28 years, I can only imagine the, the amount of times throughout that 28 years you may have been burned. But, you know, so many people, they, they kind of stay grounded in being upset or being unhappy, which you want to honor those feelings. But what, what advice would you give to someone on how to repair their feelings if they have been burned uh, in this industry instead of just remaining upset or mad or angry? Yeah. And it's, it's very hard. And you usually, that's when you bring in the therapist. And if the therapist is not working, even God, you you bring in something higher than you because you're just human and it's hard to forgive people. One of the things you start with, like I said, and that's one of the things I tried to weed out in that first year of people in this industry. Do you love what you do? If you love what you do, nobody can take you off path. You know what I'm saying? As an artist, you're, you're not going to let somebody saying your work sucks, make you never pick up that brush again or whatever. If you do, then to me, that showed the real, you know, that you really didn't care about it in the first place. So first of all, your passion allows you to let a lot of stuff roll off your back. But even if you can't let it roll off, then what you try to do is walk with that. So you carry heavy loads, you know, if you keep getting all that stuff loaded onto you. Um, Yes, but when I was young, I didn't know how to channel that hatred. And, you know, if somebody did something to me, I knew enough from having a Christian background that I wasn't supposed to turn around and hit them back. But I was also not one of those, the reason why, I, you know, jump ship from Dr. King, I wasn't going to turn another cheek and let you hit me again either. And so from there, there, there was a lot of hatred and a lot of just angst that came from all of that. And it was a lot of years of just being dark, dark and hateful. That's all I can call it. But there was something that came and that's why, you know, you see people follow the 12 step program and a lot of people think these things are not real, but it's always a higher power. And it could be another human, you know, some people let their, their loved ones, you know, can take them out. But um, somebody rescued me, something came and rescued me because it wasn't me, it wasn't me. I was, I was still hateful until one day I wasn't. And when I wasn't, I actually start rebuilding. And from when I was rebuilding and when I see other people like me, I had a story to tell them. And from that story that I told about how dark I had gotten, it it, it helped a little. They it either send them on to therapy or they, you know, sort of reinvented themselves, you know, if they were able to. So that's the only thing I can tell you. A higher power, liking what you do so much that it's a passion. And, you know, I hear people talk about even church hurt. I mean, everything, you know, that that you are part of with other humans, you can actually get hurt, deterred, you know, want to walk away from it all and go and live in the mountains and just eat goat meat. I don't know, you know. <laughs> but that is not how we want to do this life. I mean, because, yeah. you know, this life goes swiftly, I tell you. So I will not let anybody deter me. And I happen to love this industry. You know, back to when, what I said in the very beginning, the little joke I made about coming to the dark side from, from journalism. You know, I saw the manipulation that was being ha had at the newspapers. You know, I would write one thing and by the time it was changed by the editor, it was literally propaganda. You know, we had started going to the one 
one newspaper cities, you know, and it was mostly conservative, you know, the, the liberal would be like the observer, more entertaining, you know, every now and then something good, but the, the real liberal paper started going away. And I just got disillusioned. But when I came over to advertising and you'd heard all that about subliminal and all this kind of stuff that they were, when I came over and realized, no, they're really digging into what make people, how do people shop? What makes people do this? And they were really interested in the, the individual, in the person. Yeah, yeah, that's driving it. Yeah. And so I, I got, I fell in love with the industry and I, you know, I'm here I am almost 30 years later. I'm still just, well, more than 30 years, still just as in love with it. So it's the people, some of them are, are assholes. In fact, you used to, the more asshole you were, the, the more you were, you know, revered, you know, you're great creative because, you know, you were, you know, you had people afraid of you when you walked down the hallway. That was Talk the thing it. back in the day. That was the thing. But it is not the thing. The thing is, how good are you? And how good are you at what you do? And how good are you at making people feel, you know, what they say, you know, make people feel good. You know, you get much better work out of them. So that that's that's my little, I don't know if I really answered the question. You did, absolutely. Thank yeah. you. I could talk about it all day. You could tell that. I could really go on and oh. on because, I, but I really do love this industry. I have a passion for the people who love it. And, and the people who don't, I'd rather, you know, I used to do people a favor. They, I would get mad if somebody made me fire them. I wanted you to come to me and to tell me this is not right for me. Because if you made me do it, then you'd go through life, you know, blaming me or thinking that you could have done better or whatever. You just didn't like it. You didn't do your best because you didn't like it. Yeah. You know, so that that's what I think. You know, the passion comes first. Absolutely. Go ahead, Jimmy. Were you about to say that's, something? Or no, it's just, that's just some tough love right there. Um, as I start to listen to you, you talk about passion and having to love what you do, but you have a vision um, and it does tie back to people. Uh, you can't get around it. It started with the church, it, it, community with the Panthers, uh, working through the things you have to work through for self-love. And then now at the Integer Group, I mean, you're just a, a flowing, um, I would call it water, Gail, is what you are, uh, because you do, you nourish, um, you, you complete, uh, and you put us back out there um, to kind of do the same back to... Um, to each other. So what I'm doing right now is giving you your flowers. We, we don't do that very much. Thank you. Uh, we spend more time, you know, with self. And I wanted to kind of step away from self and take a minute and just give you your flowers, Gail. Thank you, man. You know, one of the things I've learned over these thousands of years that I've been here <laughs> is that people don't walk away from jobs for real. They don't walk away from, they walk away from bad teams and bad bosses and bad people, you know, so it is always about people. It has always been about people, but it's always been the thing that it was relegated to HR and then they had to stay within some boundaries of, you know, I've got to, there are some legal things that I can say and there are legal things that I can't say. And I had always been freed from that. I, I got myself in some trouble, you know, a lot of times, but the heart would always be in the right place. And so far, you know, I didn't cost the companies any monies, but now I have to be careful. I know that. But if you're dealing with people, you have to be where the people are and you have to deal with them on the levels that they want to be dealt with, you know, not how you think you should deal with them. And most people, I think, from what I see, you know, they want to, to be in some kind of relationship. You know, they don't want to just come to work and just do their job and keep their head down. And, you know, 
they want to actually have a relationship. Now we get into a clickish. I'd rather have a relationship with people who are like me, you know, and that's where we get into some trouble or whatever. So we try to open that little door and say, you know, what about if you put somebody who's not like you, there's friction, but yeah. just think the kind of work that can come out. I used to deliver as a creative scheduler at Tracy Box. I would deliberately put creatives together that, you know, sort of rub each other, but they say iron sharpens iron, you know, so you might be rubbing each other's raw, but the project that would come out, you'd be proud of it, you know, and you actually had a healthy respect. You might not like each other, but you got a respect of how you work, you know? So I, I like doing that. And I like doing with people. It's like the best chess game that you can possibly play with humans. Yes. And fun fact, you are a former, and I guess, I guess once you're a former, you're always a chess uh, champion, correct? Well, close. I didn't I didn't get the masters, but I did win a lot of games. And it was very at U of H, it was just very um at that time it was just unusual to have a, a black female that went as far as I did. So some people like put me up higher than what I was, but no, I play a I play a damn good game now. Don't get me wrong. How, and how has your knowledge of chess informed um kind of your theory and thoughts on life? Do you find any similarities? <laughs> Yeah, you know, you just that's very good because to me, well, to everybody who plays chess, like music, it's a language. Yeah. So while you're sitting there, you're literally you're just having the best conversation that you can have. You know how people think. You're really inside of their head, and they allow you in there. You know, the people that try to block you, thinking that that's being defensive or whatever, that's not a good chess game. And I prefer street chess. I, I play with a lot of uh, people <laughs> that are in the pen because. I mean, literally, that's as direct as you can get. So it informs me in the way that the same way I was trying to do the young uh, white kids that were coming to me straight from uh, these little Ivy League schools coming into advertising. And there's a little shock value, but it's a little, no, come go with me over here. You know, come eat this, come do this. It's a little showing. Um, and, and to me, chess is like that. You know, you you learn something new every time, even though there's some set games and you know, you can learn from people who are dead. It's like reading a great book, you know. Dead players are just as good as live ones, you know, so I enjoy playing with them too. Um, so I just think, you know, good players, people who had a vision of how they, where they're wanting to go with this, you know, and where they're going, you know, you might not see the whole, their vision at first. And you see it when they're holler checkmate though. Um, but anyway, I, I just think that the whole thing is, is one of the best conversations that you could possibly have. I love it because you hear some all the time. So many people saying, "Oh no, they're they're playing checkers. I'm playing chess." You know, and it's like they're one up on chess. You know, but I, I definitely get it. Um, you know, as so many different agencies and I think teams and creative uh, creative companies continue to redefine the way that we're working. Um, a lot has changed since the last time we had our conversation during season one. Uh, work from home is the new standard. Uh, I think that, you know, there was always kind of it being on the fence, and, but now it's like, you know, more people and more agencies are being open to working from home. And I think with that being said, there's a ton of uh, programming that it requires agencies to be able to have and do when it comes to DEI. You touched on some of the programs that the Energy Group has started, but I would love for you to talk more about some of the programs um, that you all have uh, started and you know continue to drive around DEI just to make sure that there is that ongoing sense of uh, community within the company. Right. One of, one of the best ones, one of the, my favorite ones is the Hear Me series. 
like I said, having the voices and true enough, they're connected right now a lot of times to the affinity months. You know, February is Black History and May is AAPI, uh, Asian American uh, Pacific Islanders, March is women. So they're, you know, they're connected to these months, but at least during that particular time. And if there is other people who want to talk other times when there is nothing going on, we'll do it then. But during those times, the marginalized people can actually have discussions around just their lived experiences. And hearing that, you know, like I said, just the same way I learned uh, that I was affecting the young people that when I was mentoring, they would hear my experiences that I actually picked cotton, that I marched with, you know, in all these marches that I was a captain. Hearing those stories, the anecdotes, those are the things that really change people. It's not, you know, policies and, you know, procedures or whatever. In the chat, when we're having those Hear Me series, and like I said, everything in the topics can range from this last one for AAPI, I loved it. It was called Generations, opposed to, you know, and it was just about how far will this next uh, generation of Asians, how far are they going to take their culture into the future, you know, the culture of their parents and grandparents, you know? And so it was just conversations around how they grew up, what they see now as their role and how much assimilation and how much are they going to push that through. Uh, and that's the same thing would go for any, any culture. You know, what are we doing? You know, there was a time that, that America had us all believing that we were just this melting pot, put everything in this one pot and you come out, poof, you're American, whatever that meant. And we know now what it meant was a white dominant culture, you know, and as long as it was that, then you're, you're a melting pot. But well, that's not what happened when you put everything in a melting pot. You end up with, I love Korean food. I love, you know, uh, Nigerian food. And, and I, I love going over to uh, just different ethnic things that are going on. I love going to pride marches. Um, you know, that's the melting pot. You, you don't really put it all together and you're not pulling it all apart and, and segmenting it. It's to say that it exists and it exists on, we've normalized everything. You know, that to me is what these Hear Me series will do. So our chat function, when people are talking, you know, I'll usually monitor the chat and people are actually saying, well, I didn't know that. Or it reminded them of something that they experienced or it just keeps going and it goes on and on and on. And so we're getting ready. June is not only Pride Month, but it's also Black Music and Juneteenth. So there will be a lot of activities around uh, that month, too, you know, but we have so many things that we do that's around just hear me. And it all started from George Floyd. We had a young lady, her name was Ella Ebenila. Mm -hmm. And she came up with the idea that, you know, don't just talk at us, Let, listen to us talk, just listen, you know? And it's not gonna all, I know you think that it's just gonna be, woe is me, I was a slave in Egypt or whatever. And yes, that's a part of it because it's part of our story. But yeah. there's joy that's part of our story. There's celebration, there's music, there's, food, there is all kinds of things. And just listen to the stories and you can, we can go on to the rest of our lives telling each other stories. And that, to me, that's like the biggest campfire meeting, you know, we can have fun with this, you know. So that's one. Then we have a, another that I can't help but bring up and that's Culture Club. Now that one is looking at uh, life through the lens of art, since we all deal with art. We sell art, we are we're sort of art manufacturers in this in this industry. So we have done all kinds of things through that lens too. And it actually is a really wonderful 
that's every Thursday of the of, of every month. Nice. You know, we get together and people send me whatever the theme is. I'm sorry. Said, is that fine art too, or is it just? It's anything. It's music. It's art, and you know, food is art. So it can be food. We yeah. talked about, you know, how. Um, I mean, we've had so many, and of course, now that I'm on the spot, I'm trying to think of one really, really good one. But they're all so good. But yeah, <laughs> everyone. So we won't have you choose. I know how that is. We won't have you choose. We have a young man, Jesus Gonzalez, who actually came up with the idea, and he's the the curator of it. So he sends out a theme every month, and then if you want to talk about that thing, you send in a piece of art, you send in a, a little food, whatever it is, and you've got like five minutes to talk about it, then everybody piles on. And it really does, that that culture, and you know whether it's about, like I said, we've done everything from gaming to, I don't know, uh, Afrofuturism, you know? I mean, we've just done all kinds of, of deals. So those are just two of the ones that we are very, very proud of. They're very well attended. Our network is about 400 strong, and um, our culture club and our Hear Me series usually from any any time can run about two, 250 people that will attend virtually. Uh, little by little, as we start hybriding back, we are actually doing a little live with virtual, you know? So like if we we're doing something, we might bring food in and actually do it in the, right. in the place, but the people who can't attend still can do it virtually or whatever. So it just depends. But, like I said, the more, more we're doing is exposing people to other cultures, other ways of looking at things, and then letting them go back and simmer in that. And I get all kinds of, my emails and my team chats are just filled with people who come up with ideas, you know, who are thinking about things. You know, um, I was doing the women's deal and, and it aggro because I, you know, I was just focusing everything around issues that women had. And one of the ladies there actually sent me a note and said, you know, what about non-binary? You know, so we actually had to address that, you know, because this is something I, I wasn't familiar with. So I had to sit back and listen and learn myself. And I felt like I had touched every subject, but this is one that was totally new. We still are looking at how we welcome and how we address people that we don't, we're like back to that platinum rule instead of the golden rule. Not what we want to do, you know, to say treat, I think, um, treat people the way you'd want to be treated. The platinum one says, treat them the way they want to be treated. Absolutely. So we want to hear from them to know how they want to be addressed, how they want to uh, be treated. And then you do act accordingly. What, how much harm could that do? You know, you'd be just crazy not to want to make people feel comfortable, you know, and some people, I mean, they would hold on to, and maybe it's our backgrounds, our religions, the things that we've been brought up with that, you know, we are afraid to let go of any pieces of that to actually accommodate each other. And so we've got a ways to go, but I do like where we're going here at Integer. I love it. You know, one of the things that we have been asking every guest this season is um, what do you feel the industry, Black people just in general need a refill of? We're calling season three, this being our season finale. So this is the final refill, but the refill you needed. What's the one thing that you think everyone needs a refill of? It's got to be, it's got to be joy. I, I always want to say hope, but hope is, is empty without joy. Hope just has you sort of sitting there with an empty cup ready for somebody to put something in it. Joy, you got the cup, it's already something in it, and it's actually enough to, for somebody to get something out of it. 
So uh, again, Adil, you couldn't have named your, your program any better. <laughs> so we need joy, and especially in these kind of times. And I know people would say, how in the hell can I have joy when I walk out and go to the store and somebody <laughs> might shoot me down? But if you're going to die anyway, die happy, honey. <laughs> That's all I can say. <laughs> no, you can't control what some ignorant person is going to do to you or your family. You can control how you walk through this life, though. That's the only thing I've, I've learned. I love it. Yeah, we'll take that. Well, listen, folks, this has been um, an amazing season. I, I don't want it to end, but we will be back for season four. You better believe that. So huge thank you to my co-host this season. Jimmy it has been an honor. I appreciate it. And also huge thanks to the season finale uh, guest. Gail, thank you so much. I'll be sure to include all of the links where you can learn more about the Energy Group, of course, in our bio and social media links. And as always, please be safe and remember that you deserve a dose of Black joy and caffeine. Until next time, take care.